Hi, this is Lily, and I'm a member of the Beacon Church. Welcome to our podcast. My family and I have been attending Beacon for a few years, and we love how the pastors reason through the scriptures every Sunday. We love the fellowship, the kids' classes, the singing, and oh, the cafe is great. So if you're in the neighborhood, we'd love to meet you. We meet every Sunday at 9 a.m., 10.30, or 12 noon. We're located at 65 East Williston Avenue in East Williston, New York. For more information, visit us at visitbeacon.com. See you soon. Let me just pray real quick. Father, we, uh, we're, we're just grateful to be here. And here now, I, I just come before you and I, I humbly ask that you will pour out your spirit on me and on these people. God, recognizing that uh, there's nothing that I have uh, to offer uh, if, if your spirit isn't working through me, in me, and, and in the hearts and uh, minds of each of us here today. And so we are dependent upon that. And so we, we just pray that you'll come and move uh, with power. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So if we have not yet met, my name is Trevor. I'm one of the pastors here at Beacon. And we are in a series that we're calling It's Complicated. And this is a series on relationships. And we're coming from this place where we recognize that human beings were created to live in relationship with other people. We need relationships. We thrive in relationships. And yet at the same time, relationships are complicated regardless of the status of your relationship, whether it's friends or a spouse or an employee, employer, relationship, there's always complications to relationships because we are complicated. People are complicated. And so we've been looking at the book of Proverbs. And the Proverbs, it's a book in the Old Testament, and it's just a collection of these wise sayings. And we've been scouring through Proverbs to try and find this ancient wisdom that we can apply to our relationships today. Uh, in an, a hope that we can actually navigate some of the inevitable complications that are going to come up in our relationships, uh, but also in hope that we can avoid some of the unnecessary complications that could come up in relationships. And so if you are just joining with us or you, you missed the, the first couple weeks of the series, I highly encourage you guys, go back, check out the first two messages. Uh, Robert has some, some really great insights for us uh, in this topic, and I, I definitely don't want you to miss out on that. So you can get that on our website or go to our podcast page or whatever uh, and listen to those two previous messages. But today, we're going to be talking about pride and how pride shows up in relationships and what it can do to relationships. And uh, the book of Proverbs, it has quite a bit to say about pride and nothing, nothing good. Uh, it's always disparaging and uh, ridiculing pride. And in fact, it's sometimes quite aggressively. Proverbs 16, 5, it says, the Lord detests all the proud of hearts. Be sure of this, they will not go unpunished. There's your, your soft teddy bear uh, God. Uh, the Lord detests the proud of heart. Be sure of this. They will not go unpunished. Proverbs 8, 13, he says, to fear the Lord is to hate evil. He says, I hate pride and arrogance. All right, you kind of get the tone uh, of how the, the writers of Proverbs feel about pride. But there's one sentiment that comes up over and over and over again in multiple Proverbs. Uh, so if you look at uh, Proverbs eleven two, it says, when pride comes, then comes disgrace. Or Proverbs 15, 25, the Lord tears down the house of the proud. Proverbs 29, 23, pride brings a person low. Proverbs 16, 18, pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before the fall. And Proverbs 18, 12 finally says, 
before a downfall, the heart is haughty, but humility comes before honor. And so it's this, this sentiment over and over and over again being repeated. Uh, and it, it's actually that sentiment that you might be familiar with. We actually get it from scripture, this idea that uh, pride goeth before the fall, right? That as we build ourselves up, we're just setting ourselves up for destruction, for a downfall, it says. And, and this is true personally, that if we kind of build ourselves up personally, we'll experience a personal downfall. But pride also sets us up for downfalls in our relationships. And I don't think, like, it's going to take much convincing for you to believe that, right? Like, if you think about how pride works out, you know, uh, in a, a relationship, you can kind of imagine that it wouldn't go so well. Uh, but the thing about pride is it, it's very stealthy, right? It, it sneaks up on you, and it comes in all of these different forms and expressions, sometimes not like we imagine. Like, when you, when you imagine somebody who's proud, you probably get this stereotypical picture of like that arrogant person who's like boastful and condescending and stuff like that. Like you, you probably have somebody that comes to mind like a, a friend or a coworker or the president of the United States. Uh, like you can, you can kind of imagine what pride looks like. And, and often that, that is kind of how we, we envision pride. But pride comes in a lot of different shapes and sizes and colors. In fact, C.S. Lewis, he said, there is one vice of which no man in the world is free. You get this? This is an accusation toward us. And, and he said man, but he means men and women. Uh, there's no one, right? There's no one who's free of this vice, which everyone in the world loathes when he sees it in someone else, and of which hardly any people ever imagine that they are guilty of themselves. There is no fault which makes a man more unpopular and no fault which we are more unconscious of in ourselves. And the more we have it ourselves, the more we dislike it in others. And he says, the vice I'm talking about is pride. Uh, you know, this, this accusation, we all struggle with pride. It just might not look the same in all of us. If it did, like, for the most part, we find that arrogant, boastful, kind of condescending thing that, that is unattractive. But, but there's these other forms of pride that sneak into our lives unnoticed. And sometimes this pride can actually look like humility. It, we can actually look at it and call it humility, and yet it's still pride. Mitch Pacwa, he says, uh, humility does not mean deprecating ourselves, putting ourselves down, speaking badly about ourselves and other such self-abasement. Notice that the focus remains as much on ourselves in each of these phrases. The very effort of putting ourselves down becomes an act of thinking about ourselves. Pride is a stance toward life from which we look down on others and consider ourselves more important than God or anyone else. Pride seeks to place the individual above everyone else. So even, even this idea of like self-loathing, there can be pride in that because we, we kind of put ourselves at the, the center of our attention. Rick Warren, uh, you might be familiar, he wrote The Purpose Driven Life, which is like the best-selling book since the Bible. Uh, and he said, humility is not thinking less of yourself, it is thinking of yourself less. And I think the reverse is true when we think of pride, that pride isn't necessarily thinking more of yourself, it's thinking of yourself more. And if we kind of had to come up with a working definition for pride today, I think we could say that pride is a preoccupation with self. We're just preoccupied with ourselves. And it can come in so many different varieties. And, and the question I want to ask is, how does pride show up in your life? If it's true that everyone is wrestling with pride, 
how does it normally show up in your life? Because it's, it's going to look different for each of us. And just to kind of get the wheels turning, here's a, a bunch of examples of how pride might express itself. Uh, you might find yourself on this list. You may, maybe you won't. Of course, there is the arrogant, kind of boastful person. And with each of these, there's kind of like a mantra that we can kind of attribute to this. And so the arrogant person, the mantra is just, I'm awesome, right? <laughs> I'm, I'm just awesome. Uh, or, or superiority is more of like, oh, I'm just better than you, right? Like, I'm just, I just am, you know? Uh, or distinction, this, one, this one's good. Distinction is kind of when you look out and you say, I would, I would never do that. I'm nothing like them. We're not even the same species, right? And we kind of distinguish ourselves from them. Or independence, where we say, you know, oh, I can do this on my own. I don't need you or anybody else to help me. I am my own self uh, or vanity, uh, vanity, I, now with vanity, I don't mean vanity in the sense of like kind of superficial, I mean vanity in the sense of like vain glory, kind of wanting that praise and affirmation from people. Uh, and the mantra for vanity is just like, tell me how awesome I am, tell me, tell me, tell me guys. No, no tell me. Because <laughs> uh, in reality, as I go through this list, I can check off numerous ones, but if there's one that I wrestle with the most, it is that, that vanity one, uh, for sure. So uh, all that's to say, uh, <clears throat> after the message, just, just don't even pay attention. Don't say anything. Just walk right out the door. Don't even acknowledge my presence. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, or, or ambition. Ambition, you know, there's Ambition might not be inherently bad, but, but if it's coming from this place of like, hey guys, just wait and see. I'm going to show you what I am capable of. I'm going to show you how awesome I can be. That's pride. Or slander, where, where we look down on others and we, we kind of look at them. The mantra is, well, at least I'm not as bad as they are. Because <laughs> I could show you how bad they are. Perfectionism. This, this idea where you're, you're working on something, it has to be just right because you know it's not right yet, but, but I can do it. I can get it there. I, I'm good enough to get it there. Or maybe you wrestle with insecurity. You know, this is one that you'd never think of as pride, but insecurity is this place where you, in some ways you're saying, why aren't they looking at me? <laughs> why don't they notice me? Why aren't they telling me and affirming me? Why, why aren't they seeing me for the valuable person that I am? Or maybe it is this self-loathing, right, where you look at yourself and you're just like, I'm the worst. I have nothing to offer. But there's always a but, right? I have nothing to offer but, but I should, right? I should. I should be better than this. I should have something to offer, Pride can come up in all different ways, and maybe for you it's not you know, one of these on the list, but, but it's so important for us to identify where does pride show up in our lives, because pride does lead to downfall in our personal lives and, and in our relationships. For a whole variety of reasons, pride will lead to downfall, but I, I want to just kind of focus on two reasons why pride brings downfall in our, our, our relationships. And the first is this, pride will reduce relationships to transactions. Every time. See, if we're preoccupied with ourselves, then when we engage other people, we're far less concerned about them and much more concerned about what do you have to offer me, right? And so, like, take, for example, you know, if the, there's insecurity, and that's how pride kind of comes out in your life, then you need people. You, you're coming from this place of need. I need you to affirm me. I need you to validate me. I need you to kind of do these things for me. And if you don't, 
Think about the stress that that puts on the relationship. I don't know if you guys have ever been friends with someone who's insecure or dated someone who's insecure. You know the, the pressure of, of kind of being in that situation, right? Or, or if you're arrogant, you know, if, you're, if you kind of wrestle with like that arrogant sort of prideful, boastful, whatever, uh, if that's you, then you probably don't think you have a need. You're like you don't enter into relationships from a place of need because I'm awesome right? You, you have everything you need, but you will recognize that some people might have some things that you want, right? Like season tickets to the Giants. It's like, oh, well, yes, I will grace you with my friendship. Uh, oh, wait, they're Jets tickets? Never mind. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, for, for people who struggle with arrogance, very often relationships, uh, because they're, they are a transaction, as soon as you don't have anything to offer that they want, then, then the, the relationship is expendable. And we reduce people to, to tools that we use. Uh, you know, I know for me with vanity, you know, if people aren't, like, what I need from relationships uh, is I need them to just tell me how awesome I am. I need them to see and tell me, like, I'm great and everything I do is amazing. Um, and if I live in that place, that is not good because every so often I don't do things well. <laughs> Shocking. Uh, <laughs> But, but here's like kind of the go-to move in these situations. Uh, because you know, my ego can't afford the hit. What, what we do is we start to just discredit the critics, right? They say something, you know, and so we just kind of come up in our minds of like all the reasons why their opinion no longer matters. It's like, of course you don't like me. You have terrible taste, that's why, clearly. And you know, it becomes a them problem. And, and of course, you know, you can imagine what this does to relationships. When we reduce them to transactions, it puts a, a pressure on the relationship that it can't handle. Or the relationship itself just becomes expendable. Pride, it brings relationships down. Uh, the second reason that pride will bring uh, relationships down and bring a downfall to those relationships is that pride, it, it renders us immutable. I know this is kind of like a $10 word, immutable, uh, but it means unchangeable and unchanging. And it's such a good word because this is actually a word that we use in theology to describe God. God is immutable, and that's really good. Like, he is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and that is great news for us because he's perfect, right? We don't want him to change because if he changed, he'd go from perfect to not perfect anymore. We're not perfect. <laughs> if we're immutable, then, then we're taking, we're clinging to our imperfections. We're saying, well, this is where I need to stay. And in the Proverbs, it has a name for the proud and arrogant person. In Proverbs 21, it says, the proud and arrogant person, mocker, is his name. And the Proverbs say a lot about this mocker, but one thing it says in Proverbs 13 is, a wise son heeds his father's instruction, but a mocker does not respond to rebukes. A mocker, it, it, he, he won't listen. He won't even hear the, the criticism or advice from others. Proverbs 12, 15, it says, the way of fools seems right to them. It seems right. It looks right. By all the appearances, it seems right. But the wise listen to advice, right? But pride, pride has no room for advice from other people because we're, we're just right. We're, we're the way we're supposed to be. And so we kind of ignore other people's advice, advice that, that probably could save us at times in relationships, advice that we need to hear both from within the relationship and sometimes without the, from outside the relationship. Fusion kids talk to you for a second. I know it's shocking. Sometimes your parents know things that you don't. 
It's hard to believe. But it does occasionally happen. They might have advice about, you know, the friends that you hang out with or the kids that you try to date. And and you might want to heed that advice, just speaking from experience. Uh, but, But sometimes, you know, our pride, it pushes away and says, I know better. You can't tell me what to do, blah, blah, blah. And, and we push this away. But not only will our pride uh, kind of make us imper- uh, impervious to criticism from other people, often our pride will cut us off from actually taking advice from God himself, that we actually don't want to hear what he has to say, especially if it conflicts with what we want to do or how we feel. In Proverbs 14 and 16, it says it twice in the exact same way. It says, there is a way that appears to be right, but in the end leads to death. This means that there are moments in our lives that by everything that we can see, it appears right, appears good, appears even blessed, and, you know, and yet it leads to death. Which is why in Proverbs 3, 5, and 7, it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Because this this understanding is the understanding that sometimes sees things that look right but lead to death. It says, in all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your paths straight. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This This is good advice, and yet our pride will stand in the way of actually reading scripture at times, seeing the, the truths presented and saying, ah, I think I know better. I think I know better. We, we might not phrase it that way. It's not like we're like reading the Bible and God kind of says something and we're just like, God, you don't know what you're talking about. I'm smarter. Like we wouldn't, we never verbalize it that way. But have you ever kind of been listening to a message or uh, reading something in scripture? You come across and it just, as you read, you're like, ah, oh, it just, doesn't feel right. Uh, or, or have you ever kind of thought to yourself, my God would never ask that of me. <laughs> my God, no, no, my God would never. But the reality is, 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 if God is real and he exists outside of you, there should be points of contention. Like, think about it like this. And who's your best friend in the whole world? Like, the person you're closest to in the whole world. Bring that person to mind real quick, all right? Whether it's your, your best friend or your spouse. If you're an adult, I hope it's not your mom still. Uh, but, but bring to mind the person in the world that you are absolutely closest with, all right? Do you guys ever disagree about anything? Like, there, there's going to be a lot that you agree about. But there are moments, there are points where you guys disagree because you're two different people. Now, wouldn't it be strangely convenient if God happened to agree with you about everything? Like, that would seem weird. Almost as if God doesn't exist out there, but he exists in here. <laughs> Sometimes as we're, we're coming to scripture, we, we're going to come against things that they, they might not feel right, but to ignore this is to say, you know, this appears right, but maybe sometimes it leads to death. And this is true for relationships because the scriptures have so much to teach us about relationships, how to love each other and bear with each other and submit to one another, how to, you know, use our bodies, who, who we're actually supposed to be uniting ourselves with. There's so much good advice in scripture. Now, I'm, I'm not saying the Bible's about good advice, but there's a lot of good advice in there that our, our pride will actually prevent us from engaging with. So we need to deal with this pride. And so we're actually going to go back to Proverbs 18, 12. And this time, we're not going to look at it as a description. We're going to look at it as a, as a prescription. 
how to deal with our pride. Because it says, before a downfall, the heart is haughty. But what happens after the downfall? Right? Maybe what our haughty hearts need is a downfall. We need something that's going to kind of take our legs out from underneath us and put our ego in check. We need a downfall, and the cross is our downfall. The cross is our downfall. In uh, you know, ancient times, they had this method of breaking wild stallions. All right? And what they would do is they would kind of like corral a wild stallion toward a river, toward a rushing river, and then they would mount the stallion in the river. Because in the river, the horse would be fighting against the current, and so it would be constantly trying to you know, fight and, and keep its balance and would leap and buck and everything like that, but it wouldn't kind of be able to throw the rider off. And over time, the horse, the stallion, uh, against the, the continuous rush of the river, it would exhaust itself. And little by little, as the horse was exhausting itself, the rider would just kind of steer him gently toward the shore till eventually, in a, a place of complete exhaustion, the horse would submit and trust the rider. And the cross for us is this, this rushing river that we subject our pride to, that comes against our pride again and again, exhausting it entirely. The cross is our, our downfall, because every Every cry of our haughty hearts, every statement that we can kind of bring out of our pride, the cross has a response for, right? Like, I just want to say, you know, I deserve it, right? I deserve, I deserve better. And the cross, when I look to the cross, it reminds me what I, what I actually deserve is the death that Jesus died. What I actually deserve is the abandonment that he experienced, and when, when my haughty heart wants to cry out and say, I earned this, it's mine, I'm entitled to this, that's when the cross reminds me, actually, what, what you earned, what you earned is, is the death that he died for you. Is that what you want? And every time my pride wants to you know, cry out and say, well, at least I'm not as bad as that guy, <laughs> at least I'm better than them, then the cross reminds me, all right, yeah, maybe, maybe you haven't done what they've done. But your sin smells just as bad. And your sin, too, required the blood of Jesus to wash it clean. See, every, every proud cry of my heart, the cross has a response to. And my ego can keep fighting against it. It can keep throwing out other things. But for everyone, there's this rush that comes from the cross, and it just it, it is our downfall bringing us to our knees. We, can't, we can't, actually can't stand at the foot of the cross because the cross just brings us to our knees every time. It is the downfall that we need. And I wish I could say that I like did this once and I am good. <laughs> like, all right, now we're done. Uh, but every day I wake up, my pride is this raging wild animal that needs to be submitted to the cross all over again. Every day, multiple times a day, needing to be reminded, letting my pride be exhausted by that, that precious flow that comes from the cross. And Now, I, I recognize there might be an objection to this, because uh, to think, like, all right, so Trevor, am I supposed to just kind of walk around feeling like I'm the worst all the time? Like, that doesn't seem like a great way to go through life. And, uh, and there's actually, I think, an even bigger objection, because if we're going through life at this point and we're saying, I'm the worst, then we're still thinking about 
me, right? I is still the, uh, the, the subject of that statement, and we're still preoccupied with ourselves. So we, we can't stop here. C.S. Lewis, he says, a really humble man will not be thinking about humility. He will not be thinking about himself at all. And this is where we, we come to the second half of this proverb. It says, before a downfall, the heart is haughty, but humility comes before honor. And it's as we, we turn our attention to the cross that we, we bring our downfall, but, but it's as we turn our attention to the one who hung on the cross, the humble one who is lifted up and honored, that we actually pull our attention away from ourselves. See, Jesus is the humble one, the humble one who received glory and honor. There's this description in Philippians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul describing Jesus. He says, in your relationships with one another. So just mark this. What he's about to say is supposed to impact your relationships. It says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Now, now think about this for just a second, all right? Let's just slow down, because if this is true, God, God, the creator of the universe, became human, entered our world. And that's, like, hard for us to imagine, but do you guys remember The Matrix? the movie The Matrix. Uh, so did you guys know that The Matrix came out 18 years ago? <laughs> Feel old, don't you? Uh, so in the movie The Matrix, if you haven't seen it, I'm not going to explain the whole thing to you, but uh, I'm going to show you a clip. And in this clip, you have this artificial intelligence, Mr. Smith, think of him at, kind of as a robot, uh, living in an artificial human world, speaking to humans. Uh, but, but think of this. This is kind of almost an example of something that is some, something, someone that is not human entering into humanity. And how he feels about it, I think, is revealing for us. I'm going to be honest with you. I hate this place. This zoo, this prison, this reality, whatever you want to call it, I can't stand it any longer. It's the smell. If there is such a thing, I feel saturated by it. I can taste your stink. Every time I do, I fear that I've somehow been infected by it. It's repulsive. Isn't it? I must get out of here. I must get free. So I've, I've only ever like lived in this world. Uh, and so I'm pretty fond of it. And there's some really amazing like moments in life and beautiful things that happen. Uh, and, and yet at the same time, we have to like acknowledge this world stinks. <laughs> like there, there is this stench of destruction and death and frustration and body odor. Uh, and, and to think Jesus created all of this. He had all of the good with none of the bad. All of the good, none of the bad. And he could have kept these two worlds distinct. And yet he voluntarily, willingly stepped into this place 
This place that, man, if we could get out of it and go someplace better, we'd do so in a heartbeat. And yet he came here and it says he made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant. So he didn't come as Caesar. He didn't come as a conquering king. He came as a baby in a manger. And he didn't come to Rome and he didn't come to Egypt or Babylon. He came to the middle of nowhere in northern Palestine as a baby. And then I get this. It says he became obedient to death. Think about that for a second. He became obedient to death. This is the God who spoke the world into motion. This is the the same Jesus who stood and commanded the wind and the waves and they obeyed him. This is the commander of angel armies, the king over all kings, the Lord of lords, becoming obedient, submissive to death. He is the humble one. There is no greater expression of humility because there's nobody greater than Jesus and there's nothing less than the death that he died. Behold the humble one. Isn't he amazing? Larry actually mouthed it out. If we were a different kind of church, you guys would be like, amen. Uh, <laughs> I saw you. It's because you're tall. Uh, but, but isn't, really, isn't he amazing? And then and what does God do? The Father says, therefore, exalted him to the highest place. Gave him the name that is above every name. See, he is the humble one who received honor. And as we, we turn our attention to him and we behold the humble one, there is a moment in there, even if it was just for a split moment, you forgot about you. There's a moment where you were, you were more captivated with Jesus than you were with yourself. And see, that's where humility comes in, where we actually become preoccupied with him because he's worth it. He is the greater object of our affections. And so, yes, the cross brings the, the absolute necessary downfall, but as we behold him who, who hung on that cross and we're caught up in his majesty and wonder, That's where humility comes in. And the best part is, what does God do to those who are humble? He lifts them up. See, you don't have to lift yourself up. You don't have to lift yourself up in your relationships or in your workplace or in your family. You you can actually let God be the one to lift you up. And he already has. He's already said, hey, just trust in me and you, you get to be my son or my daughter. Is there a higher position than that? He says, if, if you trust in me, that, that you actually, it's like you're already seated in the heavenly realms. Good luck finding a better promotion than that, right? Can you build yourself up to that? No, why don't we, why don't we just let the cross bring our downfall, become enamored with him, and get, let God lift us to that place that's higher than we ever could have gotten to on our own. Now imagine, imagine being here now, going back into your relationships. Even just think for a second. What would it be like if you had a relationship with somebody and the relationship wasn't based on a need? Like they didn't come to you looking for you to meet a need or anything, but they came to you out of abundance where they felt so filled with the riches of God's grace that they came and they just wanted to share and let that, the riches of God's grace overflow to you. That sounds nice. <laughs> and imagine if that same person came into a relationship with you and said, hey, look, I know 
there's going to be some struggles along the way in our relationship. I know that it's going to get complicated, but, but don't worry. I, I understand it's probably my fault, and I'm the one who's going to need to change. <laughs> I'm the one. I know that I have baggage, and I'm, I'm broken, and I, you know, it's going to take me time, but please give me, share with me what needs to be fixed because I know I need to change. Imagine having a, a friend like that. Or imagine if that's what your employees said to you. Or imagine if that's what your boss said to you. Imagine if that's what your spouse said to you. Would you not want a relationship with that person? Imagine if you were that person. See, this is what the cross can do. And this is what, as we we turn our, our, our attention to Jesus, fixing our eyes on him, we can do. And we can receive from God this, this exaltation where he lifts us up. See, we can't receive things when we're proud. Pride gets in the way. Pride says, I'll take it, (laughs) I'll earn it, but I can't receive it as a gift. But when we allow the cross to be our downfall and we allow our, our attention to be just completely enamored with Jesus, in that humility we can receive this gift from God. I'm going to invite uh, Krista and Brian to come back up as we, we worship. But we're actually going to take some time here and now uh, to go to the cross and to turn our eyes to Jesus. And we did not plan this in advance, uh, so that's even cooler. Uh, it just kind of worked out that the first song that we're going to sing, and by worked out, God works these things out. Uh, but the first song we're going to sing is a song called Lead Me to the Cross. And in the chorus, we're going to sing Lead Me to the Cross, where your love poured out. And where you're actually going to just cry out. And I pray that you do cry out, God, I, I lay me down. I bend my knee to you. Rid me of myself. As you sing these words, let, let the cross be your downfall. And then after this, we're going we're gonna to stand and we're going to sing together uh, a song, Great is the Lord, where we're just going to allow our hearts and our minds to be completely captivated with how awesome and great he is. And so, uh, before we, we go into worship, let me just pray for us. Father, you are awesome. And we love you. We thank you for your patience with us. The humility that, that Jesus showed at the cross that allowed us to be redeemed and saved. I pray that we will continue to just understand who we are in light of the cross. That apart from you, we are nothing, but in you, we are higher than we could have ever imagined. God, we, we love you and we trust you. In Jesus' name, amen.